When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hi folks, how are you? To be honest, I'm quite surprised as to how how much my voice is intact after attending the BAFTAs yesterday and getting uh, very overexcited by some of the winners. Great to see Poor Things pick up some awards. Great to see uh, Oppenheimer pick up an award. Mia McKenna Bruce as well, the E.E. Wise and Star. Anyway, it was a wonderful night. Great celebrations and great after parties as well, I have to add. Um, but listen, our latest guest on soundtracking is composer Laura Cartman, who joined me to discuss her Oscar-nominated score for American Fiction, written and directed by first-timer Cord Jefferson, who picked up a BAFTA last night. It follows a frustrated novelist professor who writes an outlandish satire of stereotypical black books, only for it to be mistaken by the liberal elite for serious literature. Laura's score draws heavily on brilliant jazz themes and we'll begin with her cue, Winner. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Are you kidding? I mean, there is so much to talk to you about in terms of, you know, when it comes to film and music. And can I just say kudos to you for setting up the Alliance for Women Film Composers as well, you know, in terms of something I really try and do as much as I can on this podcast is give the female composers a voice and a platform and we've been lucky that we've done some live events where we've recorded things at the BFI and things so it's been great so yeah it's it's wonderful when when you hear of great things that that people are doing like yourself. You know it's funny because I've been thinking about this a little bit today I think that people don't think of composers looking like this Every part of what this is, I think that there is kind of a vision or has been. It's the same thing. Like my my wife's mother teaches a course in science. She's a professor, a very high level professor. The first day of an undergraduate class, she asked them to draw what they think a scientist looks like. And they all draw Einstein. The women, too. Like what you're doing um, in terms of getting, you know, a diverse group out there and people to see and hear. 
what we are, what we do is really, really important because we've just got to broaden that perspective and continue to do so. Absolutely. And congratulations on your Oscar nomination as well. I know. It's so crazy. I know. I know. Like literally, Nora and I looked at each other this weekend, my wife and I, and it was just like, oh my God, we've been running around (laughs) doing things like shopping, figure out what I'm going to wear, all that kind of stuff. And then like, like this weekend was the first weekend where we kind of like, oh, it's just, it's big. It's so deserved. And it's, you know what's wonderful as well? I mean, I really want to hear about your kind of journey with Cord and the film. And it's such a big part of the experience of watching the film. It's so important to the way that the film makes you feel and the way that you travel through the film and the emotions that you feel throughout the film. It's such an important character in the film. So congratulations. Thanks so much. I mean, you know, this journey that I've been on with with composing for film has always been fascinating, mostly because of this bond that you have with the audience, where the audience kind of, for some reason, and I've never figured out why, expects music, right? It's like when music starts in the back of a conversation or in a scene or whatever, it's not like, oh my God, what's that? It's it's something that's expected as part of the, the vernacular of filmmaking. And it's so cool to be able, it's not, not so cool, it's, it's, a, it's a life's work to figure out how to really support the emotional resonance of a film with music. It's, it continues to interest me very much. How did American fiction come to to be presented to you? And what were the first conversations you had about what they were looking for, what Cord was looking for? Was he very specific? Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, it all started out in the way that that many, many unsuccessful uh, attempts to get a movie started out and that my agents said, will you make a reel up? Meaning we put together music that seems appropriate Mm. for a quote unquote jazzy movie. So I put together (laughs) a reel. And I put like I put jazz on there, right? Just like some really cool stuff that I'd done that was really straight out jazz. He said, no, not jazz, jazzy. And so, uh, okay, okay. So kind of film scorey jazz, you know. So then I did that and then they liked it, you know. So, um, but I think also what happened that I think was, was maybe more powerful than all of that is that I have been scoring the Marvels uh, for director Nia DaCosta and Nia and Cord were friends. And I think Cord reached to Nia. And Nia said, she's great. And so that's the funny thing. It's like a twist and turn. You never know how something is going to come to you or how you're going to get involved. Or, and working on the Marvels, which on the surface seems like such different kind of content. You know, mm. it's a huge movie. It's big budgets, big orchestra. And then this is a little gem. So it happened that way. And I, I met with Cord and, and the team, um, Ben LeClaire and Hilda Retzler, who's the editor, and, you know, we just started talking about what the possibilities were for the music in this. And of course, jazz was, I don't want to say the mandate, but was the obvious thing. I mean, the lead character's name is uh, Thelonious Ellison. And his nickname is Monk. And of course, that takes you right to Thelonious Monk, one of the great composers and jazz pianists. And so then you really start to think about, okay, do we do Monk? Is it a departure from Monk? How can we capture the essence of Monk? Do we want to capture the essence of Monk? And so those are all the conversations that started happening.
did you then have a conversation about what it was about what you'd originally sent over that that he connected with and stuff as well because it is interesting isn't it, that whole idea of like people's interpretation of a story or a character or a narrative or themes you know it's kind of everybody's perspective initially is different so but you had one specific idea and connection that was the kind of opening of the door to then go and to be part of this whole project when I first screened the film and I did so alone before I had the job, they had put one of my pieces in as temp and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's a good sign. That means something, something worked for them. But really it's one of, it's a very interesting project to score because it's not as obvious as it might seem. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty hard. Basically the temporary score was all classic jazz. And when you hear those songs, um, they feel great, you know. Um, they're things that I'm so familiar with. They're they're beloved, beloved pieces of music. The problem is, of course, they're not, you know, specifically crafted for the film. And the film changes emotions very quickly. So yeah. you have to be really musically gymnastic, right? You've got to be able to go from like a tragedy to neutral to comedy very, 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 very fast. You know, within a like, uh, you know, there's there's one scene in the film where there's a uh, a very sad moment. I, you know, I'm just going to spoil it because everybody needs to go see the movie. There's a funeral, and you're in the, you're in this kind of funeral scene, and then this guy walks across in a uh, in, and is a pest, and immediately you have to change course and score. You've got to go from something that's very sad to something that's kind of comedic. So it, it needed to have a score. So then the question is, well, how can you do a score and how can it feel like jazz, but also be able to do all the things that a film score has to do? Absolutely, because I feel like almost that kind of like free form nature of a lot of it is really replicates the kind of almost free form emotion that comes with all the different storylines that are going on in a way, you know, in terms of, you know, when you have, Sterling's character kind of Clifford pop up or you know the kind of Tracy's character and then she's gone and all you know it's kind of like it's so the whole thing is so unique and kind of and I didn't know much about the film before I watched it you know about a month ago now it's so stayed with me and kind of the rhythm of it and the kind of just the unique nature of it as well and I think so much of that is down to the fact that this the music is there and it's not kind of low in the mix it's kind of it's like, I'm here and I'm here for a reason kind of thing. I'm here for you, fans. I'm here for you. No, the key to the whole thing was two major themes, which is the monk's theme, which is the bio, which is kind of craggy, which is a 5-4 meter, an odd meter. Um, and it's got the humor and it's got the quirkiness of monk in this particular context. It also goes to someplace kind of beautiful uh so that when we get to his romantic life with erica with Coraline, it can it can transform into that
the second theme is the family theme. And the family theme is what really hangs you together because you're right, you have the switch, right? You have Tracy and then you have Sterling, you've got um, Lisa and then you've got Cliff. So you have to have something that ties it together. And of course, what ties it together is this fractured but fundamentally deeply connected family. So the family theme runs through all of that, runs through the stuff with Tracy and then, and then uh, you know, all the stuff when uh, Cliff comes on and, and takes you, you know, into the, the pool scene, which is the family theme is a bossa nova, you know? And so I think the score does what it does. What, what we wanted and I think what accomplishes, thankfully, is that it does feel like jazz, but it's highly, highly thematically oriented, highly, highly planned and tied together in a really structural, you know, almost formal way. A, a beautiful varied collection of work that you've worked on you know not just film but all the other things that you've done up to this point in your career but jazz is very much at the heart of a lot of that so was this a kind of dream scenario in a way in terms of being able to bring all that to this particular medium yeah I, I think it really was I you know we have have a joke around here in LA which is that you know don't let the jazz police come out and get you it's like it's like for those of us who've kind of grown up and trained in jazz, sometimes you need to mitigate that a little bit or at least cover it up so so people don't know. But uh, on this one, I could be loud, proud and, uh, you know, and um, and out loud about about jazz. And it's funny because we were talking about the Marvels. One of the major characters in the Marvels is the villain and the for the villain i really wrote a jazzy um a jazzy thing but i don't think anybody perceives it that way but in the end credit i had elena penderhughes who was the um flute player in american fiction literally jam over this da da you know she's like playing all over the place it's wow that's wacky and i remember when we got through the playback of the film and, and kevin feige of course is in the room he said oh it's so great to hear that theme and it's full full-blown thing and i thought oh my god i you know i got all, all this way without him noticing that there's like big time jazz in the you know secretly hidden in the context of like you know scary music but yeah <laughs> It sneaks in in a lot of places, but in this place, I could be really um, very, you know, very on the surface about it. I also loved the um, the What If series as well. I just oh, thought thanks. that 
we um i've got two boys and we we were kind of obsessed with that it's such a great concept it's such a great idea because kind of gives your brain the the opportunity to kind of you know kind of go places with all these characters and worlds and and planets and universes that we that we know is so clever um but it's the same thing you know like like everybody thinks that i mean not everybody thinks but you know there's this whole concept that you know you're doing an independent film and then you're doing this for marvel and it's so different you know it's not i mean what if is thematic too you mm-hmm. know you've got peggy carter and how she relates to captain america and that, you know and so what's the what's the musical thematic material that's associated with that it's it's much the same journey that we take um with the ellisons in in american fiction i mean marvel is also a family in in its very dysfunctional way at times, I suppose, you know, if you talk about people like killing each other, whatever, but, but we digress. I, I love the MCU as well. wonderful that you're able to kind of you know kind of straddle so many worlds in terms of of you know kind of what you create for whether it be a big marvel production or whether it be video games or whether it be you know kind of you know stuff for like um like bbc studios or microfiction all that kind of stuff it's great that you can kind of navigate all these these different worlds never a dull moment i imagine that's i'll tell you there's actually a reason for that and this would be the first time that i've said this in any of the many interviews that i've done this fall you know, for a lot of women composers and a lot of underrepresented composers too, not just women, the walls are tall, right? And they've been very, very hard, impossible to break down. You can't break down the wall, but there is something you can do as that is you can walk around it. And so basically my life has been, um, as, a, 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 as a, a music maker, a series of pivots, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to be sort of open-minded and to be capable of navigating um, the pivots that I've had to make. Now, I love writing music for video games. We're doing two games right now. It's super fun and it's got different technical challenges. You know, video games came out of a pivot that I made, you know, some 20 years ago yeah. when I was working on television movies and they kind of went away. And so you've got to figure out how to do the next thing. And so it's not like a like a building block. It's not like a step up, step up, step up. It's like, will you do this? And it's like, OK, let's do that. Let's let's go around this. OK, let's do that. And so um, I think that I've been, you know, now it's culminating and really a kind of an excellent year of doing a lot of different things. And then because they've been high visibility projects, people have noticed. But this is something that 
I've been doing for a long time, and a lot of my uh, my colleagues also from other underrepresented groups have been doing as well. As a performer as well, you know, performing your music, you know, do you get enough opportunity to do that? I mean, one of my favorite things is, you know, is is going to live playback sometimes of when you get the opportunity to to be in a theater and, you know, you've got an orchestra there playing the, the score. Occasionally I get the chance to go down to Abbey Road or Air Studios mm-hmm. to watch the orchestra being recorded. And then sometimes just now and again. The film companies will, you know, pay out for an experience for people to come and watch a few suites be performed and things like that. And any of those opportunities are just joyous. But for you, do you get the opportunity to, I mean, outside of, of this kind of, you know, the, the moving image world as well of, of performing, how important is that for you? You know, it's it's a really, really funny question. Another question that I haven't been asked. So you know, we had the privilege of recording at Abbey Road this year, and it was absolutely divine, the best musicians in the world. I've always been sort of uncomfortable with performing, but I've always secretly wanted to do it. <laughs> and I remember when I was, I was a student at Fontainebleau, and I was uh, in France, and I was studying with uh, Nadia Boulanger at that point, before, right before she died. And I met a guy and, uh, you know, he was a pianist and he said, well, come to Paris. And, you know, uh, and so I, I took the train with him and we went to the left bank and I went to, we first went to a little tiny club and I started singing. And then he said, let's go someplace else. And then we went to this huge club and there were all these people like, like, it was like, it felt like there were 2000 people in the audience. Maybe there were like 300 people. And I started scat singing and I couldn't remember any of the words, Thank you know, you. And it was like, it was just amazing. It's one of the best memories of my whole life. You know, I was 19 years old. It was great. And a week ago, Thursday, we performed some of the music from American Fiction. And I took the mic and sang along with it just for fun, just to see what it would be like. And it was really fun. And this project has been very, very special for me because I have done a lot of playing and performing in it, almost not on purpose. Because Cord was a first-time director, Mm. it was really important to me that all the demos sounded good because he hadn't had that experience of listening to kind of stuff where you say, oh, don't worry, we'll record it later and, you know, we'll do all that stuff. It like everything, I wanted everything to sound good off the bat so then he could decide whether it worked for him with picture or not. It wasn't like, oh, oh, this will really work later, you know, that kind of thing. So we just started recording a lot. And because the piano's right there and because I have fingers, you know, I sat down and I played a lot of stuff and then it became kind of a thing. And for the stuff that I really didn't like my own playing on, I brought in Patrice Russian, who's just an amazing, amazing player. And then I had this, this band of people I've worked with for a while, plus Elena Penderhues, but we've been out performing it a little bit and I'm going to do more of it. And it's fun. (laughs) It's really fun. It's like, I have a mixed relationship with it because I'm so used to kind of being on my own and quiet at home and and then you go out there. But I I think I like it. You've got like an entire wall of instruments behind you that you need to. Yes, I do. I play play in front of public. (laughs) I think maybe I won't play any of those in front of people. Like there's a PVC saxophone in there. I think probably should not be touched. But the piano and a little bit of singing here and there, maybe I'll do that. It's crazy when you say about this film being Cord's first feature film. Yeah. That is insane. The achievement of it is just extraordinary, really. He's super smart. You know, he, he, it wasn't like working with someone who didn't know what they were doing. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. 
it's so accomplished just in terms of also just you can feel the kind of the freedom that the cast have been given as well to to kind of really flesh out those not that they needed it because the script I imagine was brilliant but you know just kind of you know that's part of bringing in great talent into to roles is because you know they're going to bring something to that it's so fantastic to watch it really is so true yeah and, and I think the thing that Core did he surrounded himself by really good people he let those people do what they do well mm. and then he would shape it and that's what any great director executive producer and television you know what good makers of, of film do they they bring in the right people let them do their thing really and then decide whether it works for them or not i mean jeffrey's one of those beautiful talents he's so captivating to watch and it's just wonderful to see him in this kind of lead you know and him kind of just oh it's, it's great he's he's wonderful on screen that's what i love about his performances is he's he's just commanding and he really and and every one of his gestures everything he does means something you know and as a composer that's really really powerful because if he raises an eyebrow if he moves his mouth or tilts his head he's a physical actor but his motions are small so it's mm. kind of like how it gives you something to dance with and to play with when you know when you were working on those kind of final final pieces of music were you were you very much right into performance then as well yeah yeah really really we were because there's a lot of of dialogue in the movie and you know i started to think about especially erica alexandra who plays Coraline and jeffrey i mean they sound like saxophones erica's got <laughs> this kind of edge to her voice almost a break in it that sounds like like the way coltrane would play you know and jeffrey of course has a re resonant baritone so you know oftentimes you would have like an alternation between the sax or the flute and then the rhythm section would back you know jeffrey or or erica and then we would come back into the band so i did think of them as being a part of of our of our group You need to um, name some instruments after them. That's the, that's yes. the next thing, yeah. I will, I will. Um, you said you're working on um, on a couple of games as well at the minute. What what about um, in terms of other projects, in terms of film and TV, have you got, I imagine you've got some other stuff potentially on the go? Or... Yeah, we do. We've got, we've got the two video games. I've got another film that's going to be coming up um, quite soon. And then um, I'm also working, really excited about this, on a musical that <gasps> basically we have licensed the rights to a film called Dance Girl Dance. It was directed by Dorothy Arsner. You probably don't know who she was. 
But she was the only woman directing in Hollywood during the golden age. And in this film is Lucille Ball and Maureen O'Hara. I see you looking her up. Yeah. She's massive and she's been totally, she is totally unknown. So we've gotten the rights to this fantastic movie. We're going to musicalize it and then weave her story as a woman working in Hollywood in the 40s and an out you know lesbian at the same time living her life and um and being you know one of the the go-to directors in hollywood that's fantastic i love yeah. those films that kind of unearth those things i mean i i, th- I really enjoyed babylon damien chazelle's film i love that kind of and he's another one who loves his jazz i mean whiplash yeah. for me that's the thing it's like i find with certain films you know the world of jazz is is one that i don't know enough about but I love film. And when film kind of like welcomes me into that world in a way, it's just, you know, whether it was um, Birdman or Whiplash and and now your film as well, it's just kind of like, oh, I want to know more. I want to, I want to be part of this gang because this is great. It makes me feel awesome. So it's so great when film can kind of really give you a kind of um, an insight or a kind of connection or hold an arm to you, pull you back into that world. It's lovely. I think there's so much of a history of jazz with film. I mean, so many of the composers in the 60s, you know, Lalo Schifrin, uh, Michelle Legrand, uh, you know, John Williams, John Williams at that time, were really writing uh, a jazz, you know, uh, Henry Mancini, how could I forget him? You know, that that this was kind of the essence of what... um, so many scores really played with this idea of jazz and film and film music. So it's not a new concept, you know, it just is one that we haven't heard a lot out of in the past few years. I mean, with the exception of your right, Damien Chazelle stuff. Laura, it's so great to chat to you. And I'm so Thank excited you. to see what's next. I hope you bring your performing self to London and give us oh, a I want to for sure. Oh, thank um, you. Get to Ronnie Scott's on there in, in Soho and do a little performance for us. That would be amazing. Wouldn't that um, be fun? Yeah. And I really appreciate your time and I, I wish you all the best of luck and huge congratulations. Um, thank you so much. This wonderful project. It really is quite fantastic. Ina, thank you so much for having me on. Great to chat to you. You too. Bye. score to American fiction that's love all of you rounding off your first soundtracking of the week with Laura Cartman a huge thanks to Laura for taking the time to talk to me American fiction is in cinemas now and you should definitely go and seek it out it's brilliant if you want to hear my chats with Damien Chazelle and Justin Hurwitz about the scores for their collaborations together head to edithbowman.com or wherever you get your pods please do leave us a rating and review us whilst you're there follow us on our socials we're at Soundtracking UK and please don't forget our YouTube channel 
for loads of extra video content. Now, you won't have to wait too long for more of us as we have a bonus episode of Soundtracking coming very soon with Fernando Mireles and Ed Cortes to celebrate the 21st anniversary release of City of God. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.